Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show, Andy Ja and Adam Brewer. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. And I'm Adam, your co-host. It's been a while since we've recorded, so I hope everyone had a great Christmas and holiday season. We'll be releasing this episode on the 1st of January, so Happy New Year to our listeners. Today we're going to be talking about what we learned in cybersecurity this last year based on some of the attacks and some of the trends that have been going on. So first, I just wanted to talk about real quick the breach that Okta had, and this was the third breach that they had in 2022. Their private GitHub repositories were hacked and the source code was stolen. Now they haven't disclosed how the attackers got into the system, so I'm really curious if they will do that after a little post-mortem, because I think, again, it's good for all of us to understand how attackers are getting in. So we know that breaches will happen. We're not going to fault Okta for it, but we do want to figure out if our GitHub repositories or our systems are vulnerable to the same types of attacks. So hopefully they do some sort of postmortem and let us know. They did tell their customers that no customer data was impacted. And I know that their government customers also weren't affected at all. Upon the breach, Okta restricted access to their GitHub um, after they were notified by GitHub and then suspended any integrations with third-party applications. While the source code itself self is not where they guarantee security or really look at security. Exposed source code can have some impact on organizations. So we do want to make sure that Okta is up on this and kind of follow the news and hopefully, you know, they'll come out with any other information that they might have. But you could expose inner workings of the software that might lead to vulnerabilities. There's also possibilities that developers might have embedded or hard-coded passwords or secrets into the source code. And that, of course, is a bad practice, but we know that that does happen. So source code itself doesn't really have any super impact on the actual security inner workings of the product itself, but it can lead to security vulnerabilities that can be exploited at a later date. So we'll keep following it and make sure if there's anything that our listeners need to pay attention to, we'll update you. As a reminder, Andy and I both work for Microsoft, although not in product development, we work in our field sales organization. And Microsoft has had source code that has been accessed in the past, actually in 2022. And Microsoft's response generally has been that the security of our products, and I'm speaking about Microsoft, not about Okta, is not reliant on the secrecy of source code in that products that are secure by design and assume that the source code could be compromised don't rely on that for the security of the product. I assume Okta being a sophisticated, excellent identity provider that they operate on a similar principle. However, Andy did highlight some of the ways that even with the best intentions and best practices, it is possible, like you said, API keys, hard-coded passwords, other things could be included in source, as well as, again, maybe things that could be more strongly implemented. So it's not necessarily a huge security concern, but it's something worth keeping an eye on and following the story as it continues to unfold. So just want to point that out there that we're not being hypocritical and in fact, really giving Okta the benefit of the doubt here that they operate under a similar model that assumes the source code secrecy could be compromised at any point and that the security of the Okta platform is not dependent on nobody ever seeing their source code. Exactly. 
And speaking of the breach that Microsoft had with the source code, it actually is a good segue into our next topic, which is lapses. I wanted to highlight lapses as kind of a review of 2022 because they were very, very prevalent in a lot of the attacks, including earlier this year, they were successful in attacking Okta, Uber, NVIDIA, Samsung, Microsoft, as we said, T-Mobile and Ubisoft, and the list goes on. There were plenty of other ones that they compromised. And this group special specializes in large-scale social engineering and extortion campaigns. And specifically, they do it without having to deploy any ransomware. And so that is something that we haven't seen at this level. And it was very prevalent and kind of shocking. Well, not shocking, but just took a lot of organizations by surprise, I should say, in 2022. A lot of their attack vectors were kind of things that we have talked about over the years, but maybe let's slip a little bit, like phishing. And then they came out with MFA bombing techniques, smishing or SMS phishing, and then and sim swap which was you know we we're all aware of some of these risks, but maybe have let them lapse. We're not really thought that they were a huge risk to our organization. And then lapses took advantage of them through social engineering. I think the prevalence of the catchphrase, if you will, for lack of a better word, that attackers don't break in, they log in, was a lot to do with lapses' techniques over the past year. Lapses really took advantage of weaknesses in social engineering and in sometimes even outright bribery of employees that felt like they weren't being paid fairly or weren't being taken care of of, go find those disgruntled workers and have them open the back door for you, proverbially speaking, and you, now you have a foothold in the environment. And that's a lot of what Lapsus did. It wasn't any sort of zero days or any of any of that. It was much simpler. It's just, hey, find somebody who's disgruntled who will open the back door and leave it unlocked. Exactly. Some of the things that if I was in an organization right now as a security architect that I would focus on, kind of looking at the trends over this last year, obviously, if my organization is not implementing MFA, I would look at that right away. And anyone who's listening to the show obviously knows that. But then, of course, MFA strength is the new thing where we want to really try to get rid of SMS and phone-based MFA to reduce the risk of that SIM jacking or even phishing over the phone or SMS phishing. And then getting rid of that simple push, right? The MFA bombing where you keep on logging in and the user keeps on getting that push and then the user's just annoyed and then they just hit OK. Move to number matching, which is a little bit more more fish resistant than the simple push. And then if you're an avid listener, of course, passwordless authentication. And then for critical systems or users, you can use fish resistant MFA like FIDO2 or Windows Hello for Business to get logged into those. I think that's a good call out, just talking about strengthening MFA in particular. And I look at it on the maturity curve of the story used to be deploying any MFA. It's better than nothing. And I think we've reached, although not 100% by any means, in fact, we at Microsoft have some really scary data about the number of admin accounts that are still not secured with MFA or even user accounts. But I think we've hit a point in the maturity curve where now it's time to up our MFA maturity and move to these fish-resistant models as much as possible, or at least these more secure types of MFA. That's kind of the next step. And again, MFA, I had, forget who put it this way. I bet it was, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name of a gentleman in our identity org, but pointed out that MFA is not like a solution. MFA is a mitigation against the weakness and problems with passwords. So password plus MFA is not a desirable end state. It is a transition technology to get us to passwordless, to get us to truly fish-resistant methods of 
login. So don't think of MFA as, as a destination. Think of it as a mitigation along your path. It's protection as you're trying to get to the actual desired end state. And I think that's something we all kind of fall into that trap of thinking from time to time is that MFA is, is where we're trying to go. And it's not. And it's important to keep that in our minds that this is something we're going to have to iterate on, improve upon, continue to work with. But really, if we're pouring too much effort into that instead of our end state, that might be misplaced priorities too. Require healthy and trusted endpoints is the next one I wanted to talk about real quick. And that's getting your devices into management or using conditional access to require a trusted endpoint, meaning that it is an organization managed endpoint, whether it be a mobile phone or a laptop or a desktop. If one of your users is accessing company data, it should be on a managed device. And that should be enrolled in some sort of device management like Intune or other MDM solutions. So so really, I mean, with the pandemic happening and we've been going through this for the last you know, almost three years now, definitely need to focus on getting device management. I know that there's a lot of pushback. We did do an episode on some of the arguments or fallacies, I would say, of device management and how to overcome some of those arguments and barriers to device management. So definitely look at this as well as moving more towards the cloud and getting rid of that VPN. And if you have to use VPN, use something that's not a full tunnel VPN where you're still on that castle and moat model. And once you're on the internal network, everything is safe and trusted. You should move to like those software defined perimeters where you're using micro VPN tunnels just to the application itself. You can use conditional access and MFA. And then you can also utilize VDI. A lot of technologies out there now that you can have a secure cloud endpoint that is managed and conditional accessed and trusted and all the things like an Azure Virtual Desktop or Windows 365 or Citrix or VMware, Amazon Workspace, whatever it is, you know, those are better solutions. And of course, more scalable. If you can't get physical devices to your remote workers, you can get them onboarded quickly and securely. So those are my points on just getting a good, healthy, trusted endpoint posture. I'm going to get on my soapbox here because you really struck a nerve with me, Andy, on this one, in that we talk a lot on the show about, hey, we get you're here today. We understand you're trying to get there. And we understand that that's a process. Getting to a place where you're doing at least rudimentary cloud device management and checking that device posture is not a big project is not N-O-T a big project. It is relatively straightforward if you're using Configuration Manager, which 99% of enterprises are, to put your devices in a co-management state with Microsoft Intune and start to do some basic evaluation of the device health every single time that device logs into a thing. That is not hard. And it is astounding to me how many organizations still are not to that level of maturity. This is still Still, even though this has been out for years now, and you had Brad Anderson talking about it so eloquently, almost unheard of in most organizations. They might be doing it on their mobile devices. They're doing it on iOS and Android and have been for years. And yet they haven't been able to take that leap and do it with their Windows devices. And honestly, this is a failure of our Windows device management. And this is why the Windows experience for so many people is so terrible. I remember when I got to Microsoft in early 2017, and I got my Surface Book 1. Now that device already was a year and a half old device when I got it. It had been introduced in fall of 2015. And this thing screamed. It was so fast. 
And I had used Windows 10 a little bit in my past orgs and they turned off everything cool about it, stripped down everything interesting about it. And, you know, you had nine different agents fighting for everything. And the experience was terrible. Like enterprise IT always was terrible. Like every device I ever was given was a hunk of plastic that weighed a million pounds, took five minutes to boot up, blue screened on an intermittent basis. It was just miserable. And so people get this perception like Windows sucks, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's amazing to me that we've evolved as security in so many ways. I've seen so much improvement over my years in this business, this is an area, honestly, that I'd say most enterprises have failed to modernize. And I don't know if it's the folks that sit in those roles are really resistant to change. I don't know if because it's such a broad thing in the company that there's a inertia against action. But the time has come, folks, if you're listening to this show, if your devices are not co-managed, that needs to be a big priority in 2023. And I would like to see and challenge all of our listeners that your Windows devices are co-managed and that you are doing at least some basic conditional access policy checking of your Windows devices by mid-year. There's no cost associated with any of that if you're on E3 or higher, which 90% of enterprises have at least. And it's just honestly like it's not excusable anymore because we're not asking you to change anything. You can still do your image deployment. You can still ship everything to your main corporate office and unbox everything and image it and put it back in a box and drop ship it and waste money and do all that crap that you shouldn't be doing. And we've talked about with autopilot and all that. But if you don't want to change anything, you don't have to, and you can get to co-management and conditional access, looking at a trusted, healthy device in real time, every time that device tries to do something. And the time has come to do that. Now, I would love to see you do autopilot. I'd love to see you do cloud identity for your devices, but those are not requirements to at least get to that state. I'm not asking you to change anything. I'm asking you to simply co-manage your devices, which changes nothing. And I'm asking you to put in a basic compliance policy on your Windows devices and check for it when it signs into a thing. That's it. That is not a big project. You've got six months. Let's follow up in July and talk about that. Uh, My challenge to the listeners, just because again, we try to be gracious and say, hey, we know you got a lot of priorities. You got a lot going on. Like I get it. I know that, but this is something that can keeps getting kicked down the road and it is so straightforward to implement and at least get to a reasonably healthier state in a hurry. So please do this. Please get there and start at least this process. It's time in 2023 to get this done. Yeah. And just to be a little bit more specific before we move on to the next point, if you're domain managed devices, you can move that to hybrid Azure AD joined very easily. And so that's your first step. And then the second one would be spinning up a conditional access rule using the condition that is hybrid Azure AD joined. And that's very basic. That's where you would start as a very basic thing. And if you're using SCCM, you can use an Intune compliance policy and pull from SCCM to Intune to say, hey, check SCCM's compliance policy in order to look at these hybrid Azure AD joined devices. So again, you don't have to change a lot. Like Adam said, there's nothing that you have to like implement. Nothing's going to impact the users. First, get the devices to hybrid Azure AD join, which is a flip of a switch. And then the next one is conditional access. And at least that way, you know, for your Windows devices, they have to be hybrid Azure AD joined. Now, if you're allowing users to use their own devices, that will impact it. So you may have to do some exceptions there and whatnot. But the majority of your org, if you're on domain joined devices, will probably be on domain joined devices. Get this rule in place. 
And I will say, to be fair, Andy, and that, that was great extra color to what I was saying, most orgs have implemented hybrid Azure AD join. I see that, again, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, but I'm going to say 85-90% have done that. It's very rare I talk to a customer like, yeah, we're not even hybrid joined. But I'm saying take that next step, flip that switch for co-management. I mean, it, we used to say it was like just four clicks or something. Brad had a hashtag back in the day. And actually start doing like cloud-based condition checking. But you're right, even if you don't want to go to that point, just check against your configuration manager compliance policies. And that's literally a checkbox. So there are ways to do this again, no user impact, no change to your existing process, no change to your imaging or deployment or anything else. You can do this. And this significantly hardens your state because if you're looking for managed device, it breaks so many of these machine in the middle attacks for MFA. And that's kind of what we're talking about amongst many other security benefits as well. And it's just something that despite the relative simplicity of getting this done, I don't see orgs deploying it. And it's a really strong security control without a ton of commensurate effort. So I think when we, with the platform of this show, have that opportunity to say, hey, here's a way to up your security game. And it's not a ton of work. I think we owe it sometimes to kind of pound the table a little bit and say, darn it, guys, this one needs to get done guys and gals. And that's kind of where I'm at on this one because it's been, it's honestly been like five years and I haven't seen a lot of movement on this. So that's why I'm getting a little fired up and on the soapbox on that one. So our next one is really just talking about people in general. You want to make sure that your IT teams, your security teams are skilling up. I would really focus on education and that plays two parts. Number one, you are investing in your employees and they're gaining knowledge and hopefully will use that knowledge to stay at the company. And they also feel like they are getting invested in from the company. And so they're more likely to stay. I really don't understand organizations who are like, we don't have any education budget, but if we did, you know, if you use it and then you leave, what are we going to do? It's like, okay, well, if you don't invest in me, I'm going to leave. So, you know, really look at educating and having a budget to get that training for your employees, as well as educating users through campaigns, security champions. You know, we had a whole show on security champions, being able to, if you have a large organization using those folks to be kind of the second hand knowledge from the security shop. And then you can use those guys to be there, the champions within the each individual business group. And then just taking a holistic approach to cybersecurity, reading through that Microsoft Insider Risk Report really opened my eyes because it's so simple that just like Adam said, Lapsus has been picking off disgruntled employees, paying them money to provide a password or a secret or a backdoor into the organization. Mitigating insider risk is really a holistic approach where you're not just looking at the tools, but you're also looking at HR policies, pay, vacation, making sure that your employees are happy because happy employees generally don't you know, perform malicious activity against the company that they're working for. So not just technology, people and processes, and then focusing on basics like patching and cyber hygiene. You know, we just had a show with Adam Nichols on Microsoft Auto Patch. We've talked about patching quite a bit. We talk about it because a lot of times when we talk to customers, they don't have that down still. And it's shocking, but it's one of the basic things. I think one interesting point when we talked about that insider risk report, and I didn't make the point at the time, but it occurred to me today, Microsoft sells an insider risk management solution. And here's a company who sells a product and would love to sell it to your organization, by the way, saying it's bigger than just technology. That should be really resonant with you in terms of that threat of insider risk and looking at the success record of Lapsus 
how critical this is and that you're not just going to solve it by implementing a tool because the company that sells a tool is saying you need more than the tool, right? Now, that doesn't mean I, I don't think you should make investment in strategic tools where it makes sense, but again, everything's interconnected. And that's a really good point, Andy, that HR should have a seat at the table in this. How do we create happier, more engaged employees? How do we find signals of disgruntlement and act on them early? Those are mostly like HR processes that need to be fine-tuned to manage that. And they need to be very active in helping with that role. And that shouldn't be new to them because there are similar concerns with that in, in other industries, in finance in particular. You know, you have different financial companies, as an example, have mandatory time off just as a fraud mechanism to see like, hey, you know, so-and-so from the bank took a week off from work and all of a sudden money stopped disappearing. Well, that's interesting, you know? So um, they're used to having a role in protecting the operations of the company with some of their processes and procedures. And this shouldn't be new to them, but just a new area, but not a new concept. And just thinking about like keeping employees happy. I have been talking with some of my friends over this holiday season and some of them have taken vacation. And while I've been talking to them, like, oh man, work emailed me and I got to respond to this. I'm like, you're on vacation. You know, that's company culture. And that's something that is stressful to employees. Like if they're on vacation, they should be on vacation. They shouldn't be answering emails. I remember at one company, there was a person who was the only expert in that particular system. He was on maternity leave and something happened and we had to interrupt his, sorry, paternity leave. We had to interrupt his paternity leave in order to contact him and make sure that we could restore the system due to the emergency. I mean, make sure that there's documentation, make sure that there's other employees trained on the system so that they can cover for them. Those are basic things that even you can take care of at your level if you're a single manager or an individual contributor. You know, those things are not dependent on HR to make an employee happy. That's just simple team culture, company culture. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Even as an IC, you can raise your hand and say, I'm the only one who knows this and that's bad. So manager, skip level, whomever, what's our skilling plan to make sure we've developed a good backup? Not just like somebody who can keep the lights on, but understands the inner workings of the system. Because when you have a catastrophic failure, knowing that like, oh, I just push this button and do this thing and it's fine. Like that's not helpful enough knowledge to meaningfully contribute. And so you're still going to have to call this me. Exactly. Which is you. So that's how you can help yourself. Yes. And then finally, the last point I just wanted to make on this particular lapsus thing is having an insurance response plan. I know we've talked quite a bit about that, but breaches happen and it's only a matter of time it's going to happen. So practice those incident response plans, have one, make sure that the key stakeholders are on it, communications. A communication backup plan is often not even thought about or overlooked. You should have phone numbers, you should have backup texting or texting apps even like Signal or WhatsApp or something that you can communicate just over the internet. Pretend that your email is compromised and you can't use email to contact each other or Teams or whatever, Slack. So make sure that you have a, a backup communication plan. Can't get on SharePoint to look up everyone's phone number. Mm -hmm. So how do exactly. you how do you even know how to get in contact with them? Yeah, should be a hard copy somewhere or whatever it is. Like you should have a, a backup communication plan so you can look that up. And then the last topic that I would be focusing on, you know, as 2022 comes to a close is IOT and OT security. I know we haven't really talked a ton about that. I'd want to do a whole show on this, but the Microsoft Defense Report really highlighted IoT and OT security. And as Adam and I have talked to many manufacturing customers, 
the biggest thing that I am scared of when I talk to them is when I ask them, do you have these devices? The answer is yes. Do you know what they are? Do you know what they're doing? That answer is no. Do you even know how many there are? That answer is no. And so it's something that is going to be coming up. We know that this stuff is critical. It's really hard to find, easy for attackers to compromise and get a foothold in the organization. So vendor selection and software selection, I think are really big in my mind with the whole log4j you know if you're using open source software maybe think twice about that pick a vendor that regularly patches and you know have patching downtime in the systems or redundant systems so that you can bring something down to patch and fix a critical or just segment them off completely you know make sure that your network is solid and segment off your iot network have some sort of ndr solution or network detection and response solution so that you can monitor anonymous behavior to see if there's something that is out of the ordinary or traffic that's out of the ordinary. So those are things. And again, we'll talk about a whole show on IoT security, but I do want to just mention that if it was me and I'm looking forward into projects into 2023, I'd focus on the things that we talked about previously with the lapses stuff, as well as at least starting with getting an inventory of what I have for IoT in OT. I would agree. And it's one of the unique vantage points we get from our communications with different enterprises. And and again, Andy, you touched on, we, we mostly cover manufacturing customers. And I agree that we so frequently ask them, hey, you know, how are you securing your IoT or OT environments? And we get the deer in headlights look. And these are really smart people. These are leaders. We're talking to CISOs. We're talking to VPs. And I mean, they basically kind of give you the shoulder shrug. They're like, I don't know. We don't have visibility into that or, or operations won't let us have a seat at the table or nobody's kind of figured out who's responsible for it or operations says they got this. And it's a variety of answers, but never the answer is, oh yeah, we're super buttoned up on that. And believe me, if there's one thing security people like to crow about, it's how buttoned up they are and stuff. They love to tell me like, oh, completely got that under the control, Adam. I don't need you. I don't need Microsoft. I don't need anyone. You know, got security figured out. We're good. And when I ask them about OT, their tone changes real quick. And so I'd say across the board, huge opportunity to invest, to get a plan on who's responsible for it, who's covering it, how we're protecting it. How are we inventorying it to Andy's point and moving forward with that? And it's one of those things where, yeah, you know, we do sell and and Defender for IoT product, but it really comes from a, we know darn well, this is a entry point for the bad guys. We know these are usually poorly secured. We know this is an area of significant risk. And we know from talking to customers, they're not doing enough about it yet. And again, I get there's organizational people, business challenges with doing that because all those IoT and OT sensors, that's how they make money. When those go down, the printing press of money stops. And I get that, but it's going to stop a lot longer if it's involved in a you know, a security incident. So it's definitely as 2023 dawns, an area I'd like to see my customers and all our listeners of the show invest more deeply in and start getting a handle on. And that's basically, you know, kicking off our new year and wrapping up 2022. So hopefully you have some good projects lined up. Most companies are starting a new fiscal year and you got some budget, you know, take a look at some of these things that we talked about and put some time aside or some money aside to try to implement these things if you have not. That's our show for this week. Thanks for watching and listening as always. Our contact information will be in the show notes if you have any questions or topics you want us to talk about on the future shows. Thanks. We'll talk to you guys next week.